This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit like and subscribe, whatever you're watching on. I am Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle, my panelists and co-hosts tonight. From the Gridiron Battles, I'm Brian King from Steelers Nation South, Rollo Cawthon. Our special guest tonight, we're joined by an Australian professional golfer. He's played on the Japanese, the European, and the Australian tours, as well as the Nationwide and, of course, the PGA Tour. He's got seven career wins. He's played in all the majors. In 94, he played in the President's Cup. And check out his website, bradleyhughesgolf.com. You can get instructions, lessons. There's even a blog on there. I just started looking through it. So it's a pretty cool website. So we got we got professional golfer Bradley Hughes here. Bradley, thank you so much for coming on. You are welcome. Looking forward to it. Awesome. So tonight's going to be, uh, it's been a long time since we've done one of these versus shows. It's going to be Tiger Woods versus Phil Mickelson. We're keeping it to what's happened on the course. We're not going with all the crazy stuff that's happened to both of them off the course. Um, and each of us will be representing a, a different aspect of the game. And and then we'll go to to Bradley to get his his thoughts and opinions on it. So we'll start out with Brian. All right. So I, I've got the head-to-head -head, uh, battle between these two. Um, if you look at the head-to-head -head majors, um, you know, Tiger was 15 major championship wins. Uh, Phil was six major championship wins. So you got a huge edge for Tiger there. Head-to-head um, -head non-majors. You get Tiger with 82 PGA Tour wins. Uh, you get Phil with 45 uh, PGA Tour wins. So another huge edge for Tiger. Um, as of 2022, Phil and Tiger were in the same group 38 times. Uh, there might have been another one or two cents, but um, 19 times Tiger shot the lower score. Uh, 15 times Phil shot the lower score, and four times they tied. So there's a a very slight edge for Tiger, but it's very close. Um, at the U.S. Open, when group Tiger had a, had a three to two advantage, uh, at the PGA Championship, when group Tiger was uh, up two to one, and then there was two ties. At the uh, Players Championship, Tiger leads 2-0. Pebble Beach, and at the Masters, it's both split one to one. Um, at the 2001 Masters, Tiger he entered the final round at. Minus 12, while Phil was at minus 11. Tiger ultimately finished three strokes better than Phil in that one. Uh, there was another good Tiger-Phil showdown in the 2005 Ford Championship at Doral. Um, Tiger beat Phil by three strokes in that one as well. Um, and in 2006, uh, Phil actually bested Tiger at Augusta by three strokes to win the Masters. And that was that awkward deal where Tiger had to hand filled the green jacket so i'm sure he wasn't thrilled about that and uh and and then again in 2007 at the deutsche bank championship you know phil came up on top by two strokes so that said this category is is thoroughly dominated by tiger i mean phil really only seemed to close the gap you know when tiger was dealing with injuries or distracted about the extramarital scandal and, and that sort of thing but when tiger was healthy and focused um he beat phil more often than not I think you beat everyone probably not. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. very true. <laughs> when he put that red on on Sunday, you kind of knew it was over. But what, what to you, what made this rivalry so great? And do you think that they honestly didn't like each other back in the day? Because it seems like now they get along. They did the charity golf thing and all that stuff. 
Yeah, there were rumours of that. I'm sure that they didn't get along. And that that's more the competitor in each person. They, they want to be the big dog. Um, Phil's never shied from the, the battle of how good he wanted to be. Obviously, he played in an era that Tiger Woods was in, and it made it more difficult. You know, you could also kind of say the same for Ernie Els or David Duval. You know, how many more tournaments would any of those guys have won if Tiger wasn't on the scene at that time? So I think 45 wins for Phil is a huge number. It's eighth all-time in career wins. Um, he's won a lot of money. They haven't really battled it out head-to-head too much in the final round of big tournaments. The Durrell one, I remember. I think Tiger shot 66 and Phil shot 69. They were final group together. Besides that, they haven't played a lot near the final group with one another, you know, head-to-head. But you would probably say, you know, overall Tiger was the more dominant player, especially on the big occasion. He um, he seemed to come through with those big shots and and take the big titles. Phil, every now and then, would find some magic and and get up there. But for the most part, I think Tiger was definitely a more intimidating player. He seemed to have all the goods that you knew if you had to be on your game. If he was there, he, he was going to not really give it up. And that that's shown by his 82 wins. I think he's he's had the lead in, you know, three quarters of those going into the last round nearly and, and won all but one or two of them. So when he got a sniff, he was very hard to demantle from the top of the leaderboard. And let me ask you, since you're a golf instructor, because this is even something that I've kind of always wondered. Phil's nickname is is Lefty, for those who don't know. But is is the game any different playing left-handed? Because I, I know, like, in baseball, you know, it, it's a little different. Same with hockey. How, how does that translate to golf if you're swinging left-handed? Well, absolutely, because obviously a draw goes the opposite. A draw for Lefty becomes a, a fade for a, a right-handed player. So... We know every golf course is different. It's not like tennis or you know anything like that where it's the same court dimensions. So every day is slightly different based on tee positions and wind. And obviously we've got holes that dog leg around. Sometimes a fade stops quicker on a green. You can get the ball closer. And sometimes a draw around the corner might run further. So there's there's certain advantages. You know, Augusta was always considered a drawer's golf course because a lot of the holes went right to left. So a right-handed golfer would draw it around the corners on some of those holes and get a little distance advantage over the ones that couldn't. And then in latter years, which is surprising to me, we had Bubba Watson do well there. I think he won it twice. Mickelson's won it three times. Mike Weir won it. All these left-handed started winning Augusta. And it sort of debunked the theory that you had to draw it off the tee because all those guys actually had to fade it off the tee to get it around the the corners. So it, it is a slightly different game. Um, I don't know if one is better than the other. Obviously, wind conditions pay a role on that, whether you're going to cut the ball against the wind or can hook it on the wind, you know, little things like that. But I think the biggest thing just for left-handers is over the last 25 years or so, it's just there's better equipment for them. In the past, the, the left-handed golfer was kind of the forgotten man. Everything was made golf-wise for the right-handed player. And the lefties sort of got the junk that was 
came out the shoot at the end that they didn't really have a specific club. So they've sort of caught up in the technology things because there are a lot of left-handed golfers. There just weren't a lot in the pro ranks. But but now it's it's no advantage, I don't think, to be one or the other. I know if I was playing again, I could never learn to play left-handed. I'd always be a righty. So I don't know. It's, a, it's just a, I don't think there's one way or the other for that. But I think Tiger, and you can see it in his eyes, Phil's always chumming the crowd up and thumbs up and smiling and and Tiger's just, you know, there was a story he walked to the first tee and he, at Augusta one year, his mum said hello to him and he didn't even recognise her or know her. He was so focused on what he was doing, wow. he just he just marched to the tee and it was game on. Wow. Not, not recognise your mother. Oh, my goodness. My mother would, like, smack me right in the face to get my attention. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to build a little bit off of here of what Brian said and added a, a few other things here. So uh, Brian was right with on Tiger with the 82 wins. That was in 373 events. He also has 12 international wins um, and has made 338 cuts out of 373. Now, back in the day, he was making every cut, but the last – 10 years he has not done so well on making those cuts now he's been a runner-up 32 times and placed third 19 times on top of those 82 victories um and he's got 199 top 10 finishes with uh and then the 15 majors of course and then we shoot over to phil phil almost has doubled him in events 659 events that that's a lot of golf events that that shows how well his career has gone He's got the 45 wins, but he's got the four international wins to add to it. Now, Phil has made 534 cuts. That's pretty impressive considering how much he's played. He's been a runner-up 38 times. He's finished third 28 times and 198 top 10 finishes. And then he's got uh, the six majors, you know, to add to that. So to throw a little more information here, driving distance, Tiger's average drive is – 297 yards uh, for the career. Now, it used to be a lot higher than that. Um, and those injuries that, you know, Brian kind of brought up there a little bit, it, they plagued him and, and it brought that drive down. He can't use his left knee as well as he used to, which really affects the drive. So 297 yards. Phil's averaging 302.5. That's pretty impressive. Anytime you can get over 300. Um, just some records. So Tiger Woods' largest victory at a major was 15 shots at the U.S. Open, um, whereas Phil Mickelson's combined major wins is only by 10 shots. So that should tell you a little bit how dominant Tiger was, especially back in the day. Tiger's an 11-time player of the year. Phil's got zero. Tiger's been ranked number one. Phil has not. But as Bradley mentioned, when you played in Tiger's era, you know, unfortunately, Tiger was always number one there. So... Um, here's what I will say for Phil, though, because I, I, I feel like we need to make some equal arguments here. To me, the Masters is the biggest tournament. You know, it's the Super Bowl, the Wimbledon, the World Series, whatever you want to call it. To me, that's what the Masters is. Phil may be the greatest Masters player ever. Um, he's got more top five and top ten finishes. Um, he's got the three wins there for that, you know, elusive green jacket. So, um, a lot of the things that we're discussing tonight, it's going to look like Tiger is the better golfer, but we're also only talking Tiger, Tiger's dominance was only for a short time period. Phil has had the longevity. So we'll see where we go with that. So Bradley, what, what do you think of their shots and stuff? I think, uh, 
obviously, I think Phil's gotten a little bit longer over time. That's been a goal of his. Tiger has was always the longest, you know, back in the day, and he's probably toned that down a little bit. One, due, due to injury, and two, the technology has helped advance a lot of the other players. You know, they've caught up. They, they, they know how to get the right shaft and loft and launch and spin and everything that, that uh, you know, for him came quite easily back in the day. So I think one of the big things with Phil is the length of his swing. You know, it's obviously important as you get older that you're going to not be as flexible and you're not going to swing as far and not going to create as much speed. But he's made that a, a mission that he's still going to have the speed in there and that helps him compete against the younger guys. Um, overall, I think it, it's it, if you looked at their individual, I don't know if this is a question, but I'm going to touch on it now. I would say overall, Tiger has probably been the better driver of the ball. At one point, they were number one and two in the world, and you touched on that. Phil was actually, like you said, never got to number one, but he was number two for like five years. For you know, not not concurrent, but five years total. That's a long, long time, and it's kind of amazing that. You know, someone like a Luke Donald or a Martin Keimer or what have you were number one, and Phil never was because he was obviously the the much higher praised player than than some of those guys were that actually made that number one mark. But you know, to get to number two and and be there, he he was always in there seven hundred and fifty weeks in the top ten or or something like that. So he's he's had the longevity. He's probably regarded as a more mercurial player, Phil, because of some of these short game shots. He flips them over his head and does all these crazy things that, you know, more short game orientated that freak people out. But then on the other hand, you've got Tiger with his chip in at Augusta and, you know, all these different shots that he's played close to the grain that are, he probably doesn't get as much skill recognition for that Phil does, but he hit him at the right moment. So, it's, uh, you know, there's all these different things. Long irons, I'm sure Tiger was definitely a better longer iron play. He could hit it higher and softer and, and landed on the green to impossible flags. You know, you'd probably give Phil the, the edge in the middle, mid irons, and maybe the maybe the wedge play. But putting-wise, Tiger, you know, there's not many putts that he missed that he had to make. Whereas Phil, you know, he, he could go on a rampage of missing or making so you know and that's the consistency of golf it's, it's a tough game to stay consistent at but like i said tiger is probably a once in a lifetime golfer we'd probably never see anything like that again we all huffed and puffed when nike gave him 40 million to turn pro and everyone said he's going to be the next this and next that and kind of no one believed it but he obviously proved proved everyone everyone wrong. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that hype train was was rolling right out of the gate, but I mean, he lived up to it absolutely. So I think uh, they do have a kind of a a, a storm a storyline together. That, you know, obviously Phil won U.S. Amateur. Phil was all four uh, four time All American first team. I don't think Tiger ever did that, or maybe he didn't go for four years. But you know, overall, you would probably say Mickelson had a slight edge in the amateur career, even though Tiger won the three U.S. amateurs. You know, Phil won a PGA Tour event, and the best as an amateur, and Tiger, I think the best he got was like a 22nd. 
And I think that's where all the hype came from. Everyone went, well, Mickelson's one. He's going to come out and do great. Tiger's mm-hmm. overhyped. He's only come 22nd and we're giving him $40 million. But, you know, obviously, right. like I said, that, that all got proved wrong pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. All right, Rollo, uh, go ahead and finish this out. You'll be taking care of their greatest moments. So both of these guys have had some uh, some moments on the course that uh, you know will stand out in lore, um, but one you know both of them have dealt with some things off the course that they had to deal with while they were playing on the course, uh, like when Phil in 2010, uh, his wife was dealing with breast cancer and she couldn't walk the course with him, and he wound up winning the 2010 Masters. Um, and then, you know, with that Beverly shot of him crying with her in, in the, uh, in the clubhouse, uh, in 2006 at the British Open, Phil, uh, Tiger, he didn't compete in the, uh, Masters or U.S. Open, but the year that his father passed away, he wound up winning the 2006 British Open by two strokes. Uh, Phil also, in addition to that 2010, uh, Masters win, he also won in 2006 and 2004. 2004, which was, of course, his first uh, ma- uh, major uh, win. 2000, 2000, 2009, Phil actually beat uh, Tiger at the Tour Championships. He actually beat him pretty handily in both of those events. Um, <clears throat> in 2001, Tiger took the Tiger Slam, which was, you know, uh, a term because he won the U.S. Open, British Open, PGA Championship, and the 2001 Masters. Uh, which was coined the Tiger Slam. Uh, he also Tiger also won his nineteen the nineteen ninety seven Masters by twelve shots. Uh, he also won the two thousand U.S. Open, which was the largest margin of victory. Uh, he finished twelve under par, which when Ernie Els and Miguel Angel Jimenez were plus three. Look at that margin of victory in the 2000 U.S. Open. Uh, Tiger Woods, of course, won 15 majors, uh, and Phil won six majors. Um, but you see, they bo- both had to deal with some some things that they were dealing with personally, and they both wound up coming out on top in major tournament wins. Um, so <clears throat> that's a small uh, comparison of the two uh, on the course. Phil, yeah, almost... I think... Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I think everyone has their off-course moments too. I mean, we're all human. We're not just, you know, everyone's, they're all not gods. That No one, their whole life goes unscathed. Some, uh, I guess you could sort of call some of Tigers he brought on himself. But, um, you know, we everyone deals with that. It just doesn't make the news because we're not all Tiger Woods. So what's to you, like, what do you remember – I mean, obviously, they're both still active, but what do you remember, like, mostly about each one of them? Well, I was fortunate to play with them, so I played with Phil a lot more. I only ever got to play with Tiger once, and that was pretty fun, though. It was actually the final round of the Deutsche Bank 2005, and so I got to see him in Sunday red and black, but the funny thing was, uh, normally, if you play with Tiger Woods in the final round on the tournament you're going to be in the lead but we weren't <laughs> we were coming like 25th or something like that so he was a he was a bit more engaging that day we got along pretty well had a fun day his caddy steve i grew up with i used to caddy for steve in australia he was the assistant pro at my golf club so we had that sort of to help uh get things underway i always laughed or joked that i made him nervous because he double bogeyed the first hole that i must have put him off somehow but i didn't think that <laughs> It was not quite my star power that did that to him. 
But uh, I play with Phil a lot more times. And he, you know, I, I like Phil. He's, I think what he does or what he has done for the game is very um, substantial. You know, he's always interacted with the crowd. He's always done things to, you know, in a slightly different way. Tiger obviously interacted with the crowd, but more in passionate moments when things went really well and he was full of emotion, but Phil sort of engaged with everyone right throughout the round. So, um, you know, I played against Phil in a match in that President's Cup that you mentioned, and I was using a wood. Do you remember those things? That they actually were made of wood. I was 1994, I was still using a wooden driver, and I, I actually outdrove him several times. So, And I always laugh at now because I wouldn't get within 50 yards of him now, the way he hits it with the new equipment and my lack of practice and play. So just observing, you know, they're two very different individuals, but they've still got the same, they've always had the same goal. You know, both prodigies, Mickelson had the chipping green in his backyard and probably learned all those crazy shots that he does. Tiger was, you know, Bob Hope show at two and things like that. So they've, they've always been in the spotlight together at certainly just slightly different periods. I know they're not, too far apart in age, maybe five years apart or so in age. So it's um it's been an intriguing watch. I think out of all the players, they're definitely the most high profile out of the last twenty five years. And the fact that they competed against one another sort of brought an extra element to it when they were both in contention. And um, you know, like you said, they they head to head when they play in the same group is not too far off you know 1915 and four i think it was in tiger's favor but obviously the edge goes to tiger overall majors mean the most to you know players of that ability that have won so many times but you know phil could have won 70 tournaments if tiger wasn't around so it's uh it's hard to say but obviously overall all the all the balance weighs in, in Tiger's favour, just about every category and feature. So let's move into our vote. Brian, go ahead. Well, I mean, I, I like Bradley summed it up. It's it, it's hard to go against Tiger. I I, I feel like you know when when he when he was focused and when he was not distracted, there's nobody. There's just nobody better. You know, you could get him on an you could get him on an off day, but when when he was focused, it was it was pretty much you know he was he was the man. So I got to go with Tiger on this one. Okay, uh, I'm going to go next, and Brian, I'm not going to disagree with what you just said because for that 10 year period, Tiger Tiger took golf to new levels. But for, I I don't know. I'm going to be the oddball out tonight here. I guarantee it. But <laughs> the reason why I'm actually going to vote for Phil is. I, to golf, if I want to like equate it to something else, it's 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 not a sprint; it's a marathon because your career can be so long. And Mickelson's consistency for twenty oh my goodness, almost thirty years now, has just been fantastic. We still see him doing really, really well. He just finished second place at the Masters. I mean. That's incredible, especially at his age that he's still doing that. We haven't seen Tiger do anything like that in years. It's been a long, long time. 2018, I think, was his last one. And and before that, it was back even further. So um, I, I like the longevity. It just reminds me more of Jack than 
than, than how Tiger kind of just did it in a small time period. So I, I'm I'm taking Phil because of the longevity. Rollo? Uh, I got to go. I got to go. Tiger. Tiger make golf cool. You know, like you know, with the whole Nike deal, and you know, when you think of golf, like if you the casual observer, and you were to talk about golf, and you think that or you ask who's a golfer that you know, Tiger Woods going to be probably the first person they name. So I got to go, Tiger. Okay. Uh, uh, golf was already cool for you know us Pittsburghers with Arnold Palmer, but uh, anyway, uh, go ahead, Brad. Yeah, I agree. Um, everyone knows who Tiger Woods is, hundred percent all around the world. You could go anywhere and hold up a picture or just mention his name, and everyone everyone really knows who he is. Um, I think he did a good job of traveling around the world. I'm sure he was paid handsomely to do it, but he would come to Australia and he would play in Thailand and. He would play a bunch of tournaments in Germany. He, he sort of spread his name and his brand all around. Phil, maybe not quite as much, but, you know, I think it was more of an obligation for Tiger because he was number one and and a big thing and uh, everyone wanted to get a piece of him. So, you know, you can't – I can't put Phil ahead of him for record, but for longevity, yes, I agree, Matt. I think Phil's done a really good job. Tiger was injured for a long time, so we don't even know what could have happened in those those years in between. But, you know, playing through injuries, no fun. Phil's escaped that for the most part. And Tiger, we can see now, is kind of a former shell of himself. He he has, you know, he can't move hardly and he, his body is just broken down, whereas Phil won the PGA, you know, 18 months ago and just came second in the Masters. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great battle. Numbers say Tiger, but numbers in any other era without Tiger, you'd probably pick Phil. So a win for Tiger Woods tonight. Let's move into our Q&A and go Brian Rollo me. All right, Bradley. I, I, a, couple, a couple of decades ago, we saw an upswing in Aussie golfers making an impact on the PGA Tour, uh, so much so that other than the United States, Australia has more PGA Tour players per capita than any other country in the world. Uh, being an Aussie yourself, uh, how would you explain the large increase in Aussie interest and success in the game of golf itself? I think one of the big things is in Australia, we have very good weather. So it, it, we don't get these crazy winters with snow and anything like that. Uh, it's a, it's a year-round game. And the Australian tour that we got to play on, you know, our schedule of events were very limited. They sort of, when I played, they were from middle of November or, you know, early November through to middle of February. And then that was done. So if you wanted to craft your profession from basically March to November, you couldn't do it at home. You had to travel. You had to go somewhere. So a lot of us just, you know, we would pack up shop and we'd, Initially, everyone went to Europe. All the Aussie guys went over to Europe because I guess it wasn't as far-fetched as playing in America. You watch all the U.S. tour events on TV growing up and you go, holy cow, that's a lot of atmosphere and look at all those good players there. Let's just sneak off to Europe and sort of work our way over. And a lot of guys did that. We all kind of started in Europe. And then we got to the point where um, we had – players obviously greg norman but steve elkington started winning in america and then brett ogle came over and he won and and kind of guys that we knew and played 
you know, I grew up with Brett Ogle. Elk was a few years older. But when you see guys that you knew and played with, Craig Parry, and win and do it and achieve, then it made it easier for the Aussies to then just say, you know what, I'm going to skip the other stuff. I'm just going to go straight to America. And I think we all had the games for it. It was just the the scenario of, you know, this place looks too much and too big at, at all at once. But once a couple of friends did it, it was easier to jump the ship and, and head straight there and bypass the other stuff. Go ahead, Rallo. Uh, Riley, <clears throat> we just argued about, debated about two of the greatest golfers of the last 25 years. Who in today's game do you think in the next 25 years could have that Tiger Phil uh, debate in 25 years? Ooh, that's a tough question. Obviously, uh, there's been a lot of guys with potential that haven't been able to go on with it. You know, you look at Duval, someone like that, whether he got injured or lost his will or lost his game. Um, it, it takes a, it takes a special person to be so single-minded on, on everything because you do have other stuff. You know, you've got your house and your family. and But some of these guys are just so single-willed to do it. I think it depends on the person. But as far as golf games, I do like Victor Hovland's game. He hasn't won enough yet to probably say he can be a dominating force. But I think he's got all the tools. He he can out-hit everyone, basically. It's just whether his putter and short game shows up. But, you know, he's really good. This um, Cameron Young guy looks pretty good. Um, you know, he hits it long and sort of has a great results in a pretty early period of time in his career. So there, there are a couple of guys I would look to. You know, Cameron Smith, obviously, is an Aussie, won the Open perform well in all these times, but now he's not going to get to play as many PGA events except probably majors, but he could still be a force in that. But if majors count, then he can still be a force. But overall, people will probably not remember him as much because we do still base a lot on the PGA Tour wins and he's just not going to get that chance. But I think there you guys. I'm sure there's other kids coming up that are 18 and 19 now that a six foot four and swing at 125 miles an hour and can put the eyes out of it. And there'll be someone turn up in the next few years, that, probably not to Tiger's league, but someone that will, you know, kind of represent what he did and, and what he was. But unfortunately for him, there's now a lot of guys that are going to do that. So I think it's going to be a battle. It's going to be really hard for people to break out and have any type of Phil or Tiger career ever again. Yeah, you look at one of the people now that's maybe been the less, most successful last five years, like with Dustin Johnson, and he doesn't even really come close to, to what those two were able to do early on. But uh, anyways, so you retired in 2008, um, became a golf coach. Was there any thought to playing on the senior tour when you became eligible? It was always in the back of my mind because I, I stopped playing when I was like 41. I had enough of the travel and – I, I was on the Nationwide at the time. It was hard to get back on tour with all the young kids. And, you know, I had a family and a mortgage and, and I was playing fine. I just got sick of it. I, I just wasn't making enough money for the effort that I put in. So I just thought I want to stay home more. You know, I'd been traveling for over 22 years playing golf. So 
I did that and I thought, well, what else can I do? I must know something about golf, so let's teach. And at the start, I didn't, I wasn't a good teacher. I was, because uh, I, I taught stuff that I got told and I, I decided at that point I've got to make up my own logics and ideas based on a couple of reasons. One, how I could hit the ball well. I was a good hitter of the ball. So I need to sort of think about what I did and then try and include that or base that around a lot of the other great players that we know and talk about and revere. So I came up with a whole new direction of my teaching and it's it's done really well ever since. Obviously, you need a bit of luck in teaching. You need a preferably a good player to play well and get your brand out there, which happened with Brandon Todd, who was kind of ready to retire from golf because he'd had three lean years and we got together and uh, worked it out. And within 18 months, he had his card back and he'd won two tournaments in a row. So that was a big success story for me and for people to learn my name a little bit with my teaching. And But it's been going really well. I've taught a bunch of others. In fact, one of my players just won the Champions Tour event yesterday, Mark Hensby. So we're still on a little bit of a roll. He, I, I've worked with Hens for about five years and we just, you know, continually do a lot of the same stuff because we know it works. It's just making it become a habit. You know, I call it putting, putting things into your swing DNA that you basically end up doing without having to think too much. And that was a great result. I enjoyed watching it. One more each Sort of on the same vein, Bradley, and the, the instructional thing. I, I I took a look at the BradleyHughesGolf.com, and it's an impressive site. You know, access to plenty of information uh, to help the average golfer improve his or her game. I was particularly intrigued by the, the down under board. Uh, can you explain to our audience what that is exactly and how it can be used to uh, help a golfer get better? Sure. So um, when I started teaching, I thought, we, we all hear about using the ground better. You know, that's kind of one of the fundamentals that people talk about. You've got to use the ground. But I don't think anyone was explaining it well enough or giving the person the input on how to do it correctly. It's typically, when you use the ground, people would push down and then they jump up. So in golf, if you jump up, you're getting further from the ball. So you have to now throw the club at the ball or straighten the right arm more, all these different things and they in process stop your body from turning you sort of jump up and flick it with your hands rather than push down and rotate so i used it in my teaching early on it was just a piece of wood initially i didn't want anyone to spend a lot of money on getting training aids to help them out but i had a guy come and show me a prototype that he had of it and he he said look this is this works he said i, I wanted to find out more about it i know it works because i've tried it i wanted to learn more about it and he's a prototype and what well, did you would you want to try and do this i said absolutely I, you know it's kind of like why do we buy water in a bottle when we've got water in a tap that was kind of how he said it. it's just it seems weird that you know people you could go buy a bit of wood but why not just buy this because it's pre-made it's got all these got videos where there's all these different things so the basic premise of it, of it was to make people not jump from the ball have better balance and stability and then be able to rotate through the ball and beyond without just stopping their body. And that's kind of the pitfall of the poor player. They start throwing their hands and arms and shoulders at the ball and they just don't use their legs very well. So that was where it came about. 
obviously Brendan used it. He uses it every day still, Brendan Todd, and it, it gained some traction with his success and and it's it's done really well. It's you know, everyone that I ever use it with can't believe how much it helps. So it's it's certainly beneficial. It's one of the few gimmicky swing aids in that it does everything set up to backswing the take away to downswing the impact and through so it's not just a, a one little area to fix it does the whole swing and i called it down under because i'm from down under and it's down under your feet so that was a that was a no-brainer for the name of it but it's right. uh yeah, it's been great Riley, you played golf for a number of years Tell us about your most memorable moment in golf, something that you will tell your great-grandkids or your grandkids about your most memorable moment on the on the, on the the uh, golf course. Obviously, winning is very fun. Uh, the first time I won the Australian Masters, I, I beat a field that had Greg Norman and Nick Price in it, so that was pretty cool. Uh, I shot seven under the last day and jumped everyone and ended up winning the playoff. I won it in five years later in 98, and I broke Greg Norman's record by about five shots, and that had a great feel too. So that was fun. That was my hometown tournament. But probably the most memorable thing would be playing in the President's Cup, the first one. I, um, I was a last-minute inclusion. I wasn't originally in the team, but Greg Norman had to pull out, and they asked me to come and take his spot, which was pretty big shoes to fill but i tried my best and i was in japan i flew over from tokyo in a daze got there and basically two days later i'm playing the first match with nick price who was number one in the world and against fred couples and davis love so that was probably the the highlight match and i was in it i remember being on the first tee byron nelson was there flipping the coin to see who hit off first and there was like three presidents on the tee and we had a two hour fog delay and I was nervous as heck and I teed my ball up and I put the club down and everything went black. I couldn't see anything, couldn't see the club, couldn't see the ball and I decided I shouldn't waggle the club because I don't know where the ball is so I just kept the club on the ground and swung away and I hit it up the fairway and birdied the first hole I hit an eight iron to a foot and it was a great match I think it's still one of the best scoring matches we I, I birdied three of the first eight holes and we were five down they birdied every hole and then myself and Nick Price made a comeback and by the time we finished the 15th hole we we're all squares and I think there was every hole was one with a birdie or an eagle in those first 15 holes so that was a cool thing to be part of Presidents Byron Nelson, Nick Bryce, Freddie, and Davis, and the first President's Cup. So we'll get you out of here with this. You've coached several PGA players, and I'm sure that you've had amateurs and just like a, you know golfers for fun out there that you've worked with. What would you say is the biggest weakness for people? Is it normally the physical game or the mental game? Or they go hand in hand. Definitely the physical game. If you if you have some idea that you can hit the ball half solid and somewhere straight, then it then it helps your mental game. You don't 
you don't worry about am I going to hit this left, right, top, it or sky. You know you, that that helps you have a better mental game. But just as a tip, I think the biggest thing that we see with the beginner or the amateur golfer is, or the poor golfer, put it that way, is they know they want to hit the back of the ball, but they start hitting the back of the ball from the top of the swing. And it's very hard for them to envision that the club actually comes on an arc. It's not a straight line. So we try and hit the back of the ball. I call it if the golf ball looked like a clock, the top of the ball would be 12 o'clock. You know, below the ball where I'm, my feet are would be six, and the back of the ball would be three. It's kind of the look of a clock shape the times so we want to hit the ball at three o'clock but if you start swinging at three o'clock from the way down or even too early in the swing you actually start hitting the ball at 130 because you come across the ball because your body moves your arms rotate your body rotates and you <clears throat> pardon me and your hips go forward so it takes a lot of visual um training and feels to see that you actually have to feel like you're going to hit the inside of the ball to actually hit the back of it so that's that's kind of one of the big things that i teach first if we can understand the visual of what is actually happening then it becomes much easier to hit the ball solid and straight and then you can <clears throat> you can adjust your mental game according to that because you you have a much greater chance of hitting the ball where you want Excellent. Thank you, Bradley, for joining us this morning. We, we appreciate you coming on. You got it, mate. Thanks for having me. I'll remind everybody, check out his website. That's bradleyhughesgolf.com. As Brian and I are both saying, there's a lot of really cool stuff on there, so be sure to check that out. I'll remind everybody also to hit like and subscribe, whatever you're listening on. We'll see you all next time. Have a wonderful day.